This is ContactTalkRadio.com. Consciousness in action. And you are taking action into your consciousness by tuning into Contact Talk Radio. And on TuneIn.com, Ying.fm, and Upsnap Mobile. Contact Talk Radio. Hey, this is Al Cole from CBS Radio thanking you once again for taking time out of your hectic schedules to tune in to another fantastic weekly episode of Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald. Another shout-out of wholehearted gratitude to Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald's corporate sponsors, Helton Honda, Forever, and Aha That. Your reviews, clicks, shares, downloads, feedback, and testimonials are always appreciated. Lisa's purpose and mission is to uplift you to fearless and to live more. To appear as a prospective guest on Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald or to connect with Lisa regarding her suite of products and services, you can reach Lisa at livingfearlesslywithlisa.com. So for now, hey, our fearless friends, here's Lisa Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald. Good morning, everybody. Thank you so very much for joining me, rejoining me again on this lovely Friday morning. My name is Lisa McDonald, host of Living Fearlessly with the Contact Talk Radio Network. Listenership spans to 145 countries, 220 TV radio terrestrial satellites, and the potential for millions of iTunes downloads. Once again, we are joined by yet another phenomenal guest. So who is my guest of this Friday? Well, what I can tell you is we are joined by Emily Hoff. She is the cohort co-author of Scenic Science of the National Parks. She's the big ideas person of this author duo. She's constantly inventing new projects and swinging for the fences. Other hats that Emily wears when working with her book counterpart, Megan Keller, include chief campsite dishwashing officer, monitor of the weather radar, knower of Hamilton lyrics, and queen of the research books. When Emily isn't working with Megan Keller, you can find her writing museum ex- exhibits for the likes of the American Museum of National History and Kennedy Space Center. Emily lives in Brooklyn, New York. Welcome to Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald, my friend. How are you today, Emily? Thanks so much for having me, Lisa. I'm excited to be here. Well, this is amazing, and I just want to give some uh, some backstory here. So for the fact that I've been doing global international radio now and podcasting for five years uh, and given the reach, and I'm very grateful for everybody who, you know, tunes in, listens, uh, uploads, downloads, shares out the podcast. Uh, you know, people like your publishing company, I'm getting books from people all over the place saying, I I want my people on your show. And this happened to be the case in your particular case, you and, um, and Megan, who will be coming up on another show in another interview. And, you know, I looked at the book, Scenic Science of the National Parks, and I thought, you know what, how timely is this? Because here we are, we're all sitting in, in quarantine, self-isolation, and it's giving people an opportunity to reflect on what perhaps we all collectively and individually took for granted. And so this couldn't come at a better time, Emily, to talk about things that really matter as it goes back to uh, the grassroots and the bare bones of nature. So let's talk a little bit about your book. Let's talk about the inception of your journey. What motivated you to write about this type of book specifically? Sure. Um, This has been, as all books are, I'm sure, quite a journey. Uh, This book represents about five years of work 
for Megan and I. Um, Mm -hmm. And we, uh, a million years ago, went to undergrad together and became really fast friends there when we discovered that we both um, mostly were giant nerds, but that we really loved... (laughs) Um, we really loved learning and we were determined to keep on learning even after we finished school, um, and wanted to Mm -hmm. kind of help others tap into their curiosity, um, and their, um, excitement to explore just about any area of subject matter that they were interested in. So Megan and I worked to develop a bunch of different ideas and over the course of a a little while, it became really obvious that we wanted to focus on traveling and we wanted to focus uh, specifically on science. Um, It Mm -hmm. occurred to us that you can travel for a lot of different reasons. You can travel for food or music or drugs or sex. But what would it mean to travel for science? How could we be science tourists? um, And what would that really look like? So we started um, taking trips to the national parks and hiking with paleontologists and Skyping with geologists and pestering people in visitor centers with all sorts of questions. And we learned that not only is it possible to be science tourists, but it's a heck of a lot of fun and it takes you all over the place and lets you interact with people that you wouldn't necessarily otherwise have a reason to strike up a conversation with. So this book really became an effort to get that philosophy out into the world. Uh, We have been driven for a long time by our very short catchphrase, which is get curious. Um, So all it means is pack your bags, or in this case, grab a nice beverage, sit down in your favorite chair, (laughs) (laughs) and do whatever sounds good to you or whatever feels interesting um, in an effort to learn more about the world. Beautiful. Beautiful. Well put. Well, you cited and rhymed off a lot of uh, really pivotal things that you learned along the ways, because we know when we're birthing books, uh, you know, we think and of other myriads and, and of insights that otherwise wouldn't have been uh, glaringly in our face or, or be abundantly apparent to us. What I would like to know from you, as I'm sure the listening audience would as well, Emily, what have you, what have you come to realize about yourself that you know wouldn't have otherwise transpired in the way of insight, transformation, etc., had you not written this book or undergone the process of embarking to write this book? What have you what are you pleasantly surprised about in terms of having learned about yourself? That's a great question. Um, well, I think it's interesting that you talked about birthing a book because that's something that Megan and I um, kind of half jokingly, but half seriously referred to throughout this process that we were pregnant with a book and we were going to give birth to this book. Um, but unlike, you know, a nine month pregnancy, we had five years. Um, Beautiful to incubate these ideas. And for the first three years, it was uh, largely Megan and I working on our own and in collaboration with scientists. Um, So by year three, we then had a publishing team involved. We had an agent and a designer and then an illustrator. Um, And it became though, of course, the the research and the writing and all of that fell on Megan and I. Um, We had to quickly learn how to bring other people into our team and work effectively with them and not just bring them into our team, but help them work on our vision. Um, This was our book, our baby from the very beginning. So to learn how to expand a team and share that vision and also be flexible. This is not at all the book that we set out to write initially (laughs) 
or that we like initially envisioned for the project. Um, but I could not be more proud of the way that it turned out. And I'm so thankful that both of us were willing to go on that journey and, um, and create something with the input of others and with the advice and help of others that we are really proud of. Beautiful. So am I to glean then uh, from what you've just said in terms of what you've learned from yourself that you've had to somewhat relate? We talk a lot about relinquishing on this show, you know, in terms of embracing the best version of yourself or really meeting your targets or your objectives or trying to resonate at the deepest core level with your target audience or your demographic for whatever your product services message branding is. We understand that in order to effectively uh, get things done, we have to allow people to come into the process. And so as you cited, there were other people who you needed to get on board for them to grasp onto the vision you held, that you and Megan collectively held for the book. Um, So was that what you learned about yourself in terms of getting out of the, I've got to be in control of everything or, or, or what is the, the biggest fundamental core principle you've learned about yourself? Another good question. Um, wow. That's a really good question. I think the biggest thing that I learned really was like, at um, how do I say this? The biggest thing I learned was the ability to see my vision through and to be Mm -hmm. adaptable throughout that process. Um, I've thought of myself as a writer for a long time. I am a professional writer in museums and in all sorts of capacities. Um, And I knew somewhere in the back of my head that I wanted to write a book, but um, actually uh, deciding that now was the time to embark on that journey and that I was going to do it with um, my best friend. And then as we pulled in other people along this process, you know, the team just got bigger and bigger. And um, I also think it's important to say that our entire publishing team uh, were women and that we really focused our research towards uh, topics that we could connect with uh, women and other um, scientists whose voices are not heard that often. So throughout this whole process, it was all about um, having a really clear vision of Mm -hmm what we wanted. We wanted to write a book and we wanted to inspire curiosity with that book. Um, And then kind of rolling consistently with all of the different punches and all of the different plot twists that got thrown your way um, to make sure that we were still on that track. We were still, um, we were still subscribing to our vision and our mission, uh, but learning how to adapt that into the real world. Fantastic. Well, I love what you said there about the the team being predominantly women, women empowering women. I'm all about that. So fantastic. Mm -hmm. Kudos to you. Uh, Because you obviously by doing that accomplish more things than you initially set out to with just birthing the book. So uh, fantastic. So let's talk a little bit about the reception of the book, because this was only just launched, if I'm not mistaken, March 31st. I mean, this is only like weeks ago. Um, So what's happening? What's transpired? What's the reception? What's the receptivity? What's the feedback? Well, I think everybody can appreciate that this is a really interesting time to launch a book. (laughs) Um, And of course, you know, Megan and I spent five years dreaming about uh, our book release and of what that would look like and what that would feel like. And I don't think in any sort of scenario we could have come up with where we currently are. Right. Um, so that has been kind of interesting, but it, 
you know, and of course I'll own up to a little disappointment in that, but at the same time, um, our book is out there in the world and we're getting to see people interact with it. Um, both people that we know and love. It's so cool to see my aunts and uncles with the book in their hands. Um, and Megan feels the same about her siblings and friends. Um, but it's also really neat to know that it's just out there, that anyone mm -hmm. can interact with it. It's out, you know, like a teenager. It's out living its own life now and creating mm -hmm. its own world. Beautiful. Um, but I well, think an interesting aspect is that from the beginning, even though this was a travel book and we obviously had no idea a pandemic was on the way, from the beginning we really wanted it to be accessible for armchair travelers as well as people that were actually going to go into the parks. Mm -hmm. um, and so nowhere is that more important than right now, right? Um, the ability to open a book and disappear into a different place for a little while uh, is a really fantastic thing right now. And I'm really pleased that we could make an entry into that. Absolutely. Well, you know, I, I'm going to offer my two cents on that because, you know, I'm always about the deeper lesson, the deeper meaning, right? And, and that typically always comes from adversity or challenge. Um, you know, people think that the easiest or the best things or the, the life lessons come from when things are seemingly easy, right? No, it's not. I, I think desperation mm -hmm. is what fuels purpose and, and out of purpose comes passion. So I think in my own humble opinion, and I've spoken about this subject from various perspectives, I think your book couldn't have come out at a better time to be honest, because, and not just the book itself, but the nature, pun intended, of what the book is about. Because with people being shut indoors right now, people who are not comfortable in their own skin, people who shy away from solitude, uh, people who have not done the shadow work on themselves to really get clear with, okay, what are my intentions? How can I show up in this world as the best, most improved version of myself? What projects, similar to Emily and Megan, call it a book, call it uh, a CD, call it, call it whatever, have I put on the back burner for far too long? that I've always used the excuse or defaulted to, I've never had enough time. Well, we all now are sitting in a period where rather than succumbing to fear or looking at the ways that we feel we've been inconvenienced, we can look at this as the most creative opportune time, knowing that we're embarking upon when we get the green light to reemerge back into the world again as a collective, it's gonna be a new normal. So how can we use this time to show up as the best, most improved version of ourselves? What things have we put on the back burner that we can now truly put our attentions on and have things come to tangible fruition? And so given the nature of your book, yours and Megan's book, being about beauty, right? I mean, how many things have we taken for granted in this world that now we are forced to sh be shut down, shut in, and have to introspectively go deep within ourselves and go, okay, what things did I on a daily basis take for granted, right? Well, people are now realizing when they're looking out their window, wow, I really wish that I could like go on that trail and go on a hike with my buddies or, uh, you know, or get back to grassroots with nature, things that are really pivotally important that again, we've taken collectively for granted. So knowing that people are getting caught up with their book reading, knowing that people are starting to tap into like really what the, the lyrics are in, in, in music and, and really just looking at things from a more crystallized standpoint, I think 
this is the best time for not only your book having been launched, but more so especially for the exact nature of what your book uh, signifies and what it's all about. That's my personal opinion. So I think this is amazing. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, I mean, I think Megan and I chose to focus on the national parks um, partially because we wanted to travel there and partially mm -hmm. because there is, you know, just an overwhelming amount of science and nature to explore within those landscapes. But science and nature is not limited to the landscapes that we can't necessarily get to right now. I mm -hmm. live in New York City, um, one of the most dense urban environments on the face of this planet, but it is still a natural environment. Mm -hmm. um, and now is a great time more than ever to kind of take heart of some of the messages that we're saying in the book that are, look closely. What can you observe just by being close and being still? And then look at a big picture. How does it change mm -hmm. when you look really high above or really far away? Um, and also just a call broadly to pay attention to what's around. The subjects that we cover in the book, the things that we're asking people to get close or look at the big picture for, um, are not necessarily the most spectacular aspects of these places. They're things like the humble juniper tree uh, that you will spot in a lot of different parks and maybe would just walk right past at the overview to get to that big scenic viewpoint. But those junipers are just as remarkable as what you're going to see at the viewpoint. So what else can you find just lurking close by? Mm -hmm. Beautiful. And so throughout your travel, your discoveries, uh, what you've unearthed, what you've tapped into maybe for the first time, or you've gotten a more uh, refined sense of perspective for having revisited certain places a multitude of times, what is your favorite place on the face of the planet that you've had the, the luxury and the privilege of traveling to? Oh my gosh, <laughs> what a question. Oh, that's a really good question. And, and whatever you come upon is your answer. I would ask you to explain why. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, wow, that is a really good question. So we often, Megan and I often get asked what our favorite park is. And mm -hmm. um, I think for both of us, it's an absolutely impossible question to answer. We were so fortunate to visit 25 parks over the course of our research. Mm -hmm. uh, and I would say in just about every one of those, there's a moment or a place uh, that I can mentally travel back to and that I enjoy going back to. Sometimes um, it's something as simple as the campground bathroom has really stuck with me or <laughs> something even more grand than that. Um, so there are all of these sort of, you know, vista mm -hmm. moments. Um, but what sort of brings them all together is that I had Megan to share it with, and mm -hmm. then we had this sort of larger purpose in what we were doing. Um, so utterly okay. for the time we spent on the road, and I think I would, I can't pick any of those places. <laughs> okay, well, let me, let me, I mean, maybe I get the same answer from you, but let me take another stab at this. So if you were faced with the choice and you had to be discerning, and even though you can appreciate all that you received and what resonated with you out of all 25 parks, but you had only one more future opportunity in which to revisit a park that you've either already been to or have yet to go to, what would you choose? Rather than, oh forfeiting, rather than forfeiting the opportunity of not going because there's too many selections, too many choices, 
But to capitalize on the fact that you even have the opportunity or the option, what would you choose? Ooh, another good question. Um, I would have See, to- I, I do unscripted, none of this Q&A stuff. So yeah, <laughs> I, I'm catching you off guard here, but this, is, this makes for authentic, organic conversation. Um, boy, in the course of researching the book, we learned about so many interesting places and fantastic things. Um, one place that has really stuck with me that we did not visit, but that I would desperately like to is Lassen Volcanic National Park in California. Mm-hmm. Um, has kind of similar vibes to Yellowstone. There's a lot of volcanic activity going on and a lot of um, uh, boiling mud pots and hot springs and things like that. Um, and I would desperately love the chance to explore it. It's a little bit smaller, uh, much smaller than Yellowstone. Um, and you can kind of easily get into the backcountry and see some things there. So I think if I could only go one other place, I think that would probably be it. Beautiful. Beautiful. Okay, so let's talk about the contrast of who Emily Hoff is when she's living in concrete jungle. And that's not to knock New York, because I love New York. Um, But, you know, when we talk about the differences, uh, the obvious differences between city life and being out with nature, you know, obviously, you're still fundamentally at the core of who you are, you're the same person. But what, what comes out, what comes more to life, what's more accentuated that when you're out in nature, Uh, that perhaps is a little bit more submerged or hidden when you're in concrete jungle city life. So what is it about you that that you love that starts to get resurrected or or resurfaces when you're in your element of being in the happy place? Um, I think it's the ability to pay attention. That Mm -hmm. ability is so much different in nature. Um, And in New York, it looks really different, right? Um, On a normal day, there is so much stimulus coming at you and just walking down the street is sort of a carnival of senses um, that you learn really quickly to have these background mental processes running of filtering out unnecessary stimulus um, so that you can pay attention to what you might actually need to know. (laughs) What Mm -hmm. are the people doing in front of me? Uh, Can I make this light? That sort of thing. Um, And in nature, that background element is sort of removed. Um, It feels like all your mental processes get to run a little bit slower um, and take in stimulus that is really very different Mm -hmm. uh, than what you might see or hear or smell. I mean, the ability to breathe deeply is definitely not on the table all the time in New York. You do not want to take a deep breath on some street corners (laughs) (laughs) most of the time. but that ability to sort of take it all in on one level instead of processing on so many levels is really interesting to me. Beautiful. And so given what you're impassioned by and given where you feel like you're most at home in your happy place, people might be listening in and going, okay, well, why does she elect to live in New York? What's the draw for living in New York as opposed to living in the sanctuary of what does uh, appeal to your senses 24-7? Well, to me, um, well, New York is my home. Um, I've mm-hmm. lived here for almost eight years. And though I moved here, I moved here for work somewhat uh, reluctantly, but excited to see what it was all about. Um, and I found a city that was so deeply energetic and so driven and mm-hmm. so creative and so weird uh, <laughs> that I just had to say... <laughs> 
Fantastic. Fantastic. And so not to take away from the newness of this book having been launched, but obviously because you're a visionary and because this was something that you undertook and it did require five years of patience and creativity and exploration and interfacing with a whole bunch of uh, experts in the field uh, for your book to become a finished tangible product. What what else is on the horizon for you or what else do you see as being further extrapolated as a result of the book? Um, being having come to life, like, is there any add-ons to the book? Could there be a book number two, but it 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 covers a different aspect of of uh, nature or outdoors? Uh, you know, have you and Megan talked about that? Would there be a second project that involves the two of you, or would you see something else that takes you off on a separate individualistic direction, or something completely out of the realm of book writing altogether that you've now gotten? a little bit more fire in your belly and going, oh, you know what? I'm so proud of myself for having written that book. But there's other things that I also want to get to that because the book took precedence for five years, I wasn't able to get to, but now perhaps I can. So what's what's the future of Emily Hoff here? Well, Megan and I are definitely a creative duo for the ages. Uh, Not everybody gets a chance in life to have a creative partner that they're so connected with. Mm-hmm. I feel really, really lucky in that and excited to keep developing that partnership and keep seeing it grow. There's definitely a second book that will come at some point, um, probably somewhat along the same lines, but we already wrote that book. So let's see what else we have Beautiful. inside us. Definitely. Um, and then in the more short term, as our world starts to open up, uh, Megan and I are going to lead trips to the national parks. We currently have one on the calendar that may or may not happen in late July um, to Arches and Canyonlands National Parks in Utah. And so hopefully more of that to come. Amazing. Pretty exciting. Very exciting stuff. And uh, a lot of people would be enamored by your lifestyle and go, oh, you know what? I really wish I could have more of that adopted into my life. So for anybody who's tuning in here, um, whether it be the radio show itself or eventually the podcast uh, when it comes out and they go, you know what? I've realized to what degree I've been too regimented in my ways. And, uh, you know, I do want to get back to the beauty of nature. I do like who I am the most when I'm exposed to what's natural, what's organic, um, you know, what's vibrant. So for people who are kind of going, okay, but how do I juggle the duality of what my life has to look like um, based on necessity, paying bills, et cetera, but really tapping into the true essence and, and the core of who I am by taking a leap of faith, maybe not as drastically as what Emily or Megan have, but getting getting off the fence at least. So what would you say to people to entice them or to educate them about what they might be um, overlooking or having previously dismissed about nature and, and, and the wonders of the world? Well, I think oftentimes it can help to uh, reframe the situation or the question that you're asking yourself. So mm-hmm. if you are saying, you know what I would love is to run away to the Tetons for the rest of the year, but that is impossible. I need to pay rent and also there's a pandemic on. Um, it can help to sort of say, well, what can I do right now that is that? And what can I do maybe as a step towards that? Can I open a savings account? Can I look for jobs that might be available to me when the world starts to reopen? 
Um, and understanding that almost any goal that you're going to set takes time and it will take more time than you want it to. Mm -hmm. um, and it will involve a lot of steps that you could never see coming in the first place. And a lot of them you may not want to do necessarily. Um, but it's all about maintaining priorities in those kind of cases, right? Is my priority to finish this book or is my priority to get um, a different job now here in my city? Mm -hmm. um, and being able to answer that and sort of hold various decisions that you might make up against that. Does it go towards this or does it take me away from that? And what is my responsibility and what is my desire um, can be really helpful. But even just in connecting to nature, I cannot emphasize enough that cities and um, suburbs as well are natural places. New York City has something like 30,000 acres of parkland, um, as well as public beaches that you can get to. Mm -hmm. um, and so even within, without leaving my city, I have participated in quite a lot of natural events. Um, there's something called the street tree survey that happens here every 10 years, just like the people census, the New York City Parks Department surveys every single tree growing between the buildings and the street in the city. That's about 11,000 miles of sidewalk. Uh, that volunteers walk down every single one of those block and catalog what species of tree, how big they are, if there's a bird's nest in it, if there's a power line going through it, all sorts of things. And so thanks to that count, I now walk down the street with a little bit of a different goggle on. I definitely look more at the trees around me. I am more familiar with the species that I'm seeing. Um, and I feel like I have this little relationship with the trees, especially now on my own block. Um, and in my backyard that I mm -hmm. really know them and I'm taking time to look at little changes on them. Beautiful, beautiful. And so, you know, as an as a author myself, I mean, regardless of what type of book or genre it falls into, most authors are able to say in retrospect, um, once they've got the finished product in their hands, they can go, you know what? that was my favorite part of the book, or that was the most challenging part of the book in which to have written, but I'm so glad that I persevered and I plowed through it and I, and I gave it the integrity and the voice and the message that I, I intended for the, the reader. So what about your book? And you can take it in whatever direction you wish to, Emily. You know, what book was the most challenging for you? Um, what part perhaps was um, looking back on it now, reading it, going, you know what, I, I'm so glad that that came to life. That's exactly how I wanted the message to leap off the pages. So what is your favorite aspect of the book? What was your most challenging? Again, however you wish to proceed in answering that, that's entirely up to you. Okay. Um, let's see. Well, I think my favorite was usually at the end of the day, it was obvious that we had made progress. Um, that the manuscript was a little bit longer, that more reference images had been added for our illustrator. It was such a monumental task that mm -hmm. the little bits of chipping away at it were pretty satisfying, even if the whole task was overwhelming um, when you stopped to think about it uh, as a whole. Mm -hmm. um, but it was really, it was so cool to see, to hand off our words and reference images to our designer and to our illustrator and watch them create something so magnificent and so beautiful to look at uh, from it. 
that uh, neither Megan nor I are, are designers. Um, and so <laughs> first just, you know, handed over like a, a Google Doc that was 90,000 words long and wow. had not a whole lot of idea of what that would end up looking like, but it, um, all of the people that touched it made it better in their own ways. And that is such a cool feeling. Well, I have to say it's a beautiful, beautiful book. I mean, you should all, for all the, the people who played a contributing role in this and it coming to fruition in the way that it has as a tangible product, it is absolutely a beautiful finished product. It's a beautiful book. The content is excellent. The illustrations are fantastic. I love how it's been formatted, how it's been laid out. It's very user-friendly. Um, so I just, I encourage anybody who... Whether this is like your realm of interest uh, or not, I think this is a perfect gift to give to somebody who perhaps it, it's more, uh, it would resonate with. But I just think it's a beautiful book. My kids have absolutely been all over it. Let me tell you, they have a natural innate interest towards nature. Uh, we do a lot of hiking, um, you know, all the things outdoors that take us back to, uh, you know, the core and the essence of who I believe we all are. Uh, and our relationship to mother nature. So I just want to say kudos to all of you. You've done a fantastic job and I would love to give you the opportunity, um, Emily, to plug where people can find the book. If people have any particular questions they may wish to ask of you specifically, you and or Megan as the authors, um, how can people reach out to you or if this could turn into like a speaking engagement or, you know, when the pandemic's lifted and people can get back into nature and they want some kind of like tour guide or something, how can people connect with you? Where can people buy the book? So you can purchase the book wherever books are sold. That includes um, Amazon and other big retailers, uh, as well as your local bookshops. Local bookshops are doing a whole lot of heavy lifting right now during this pandemic. Um, and so I would definitely encourage your listeners to reach out to their local shop to see if they are still delivering um, mm -hmm. and give them their business if they can. Um, so find the book wherever books are sold. And um, if you would like to reach out directly to Megan and I, there is a contact us form on our website, scenicsciencebook.com. And you can also find us on Instagram at scenicsciencebook. Fantastic. And so as anybody who's endeavored to undertake and embark upon any type of project or accomplish any type of goal or intention setting that they set out to do, that by my description is already somebody who knows what it is to embody living fearlessly. But I ask everybody who comes on my show what that means to them specifically, because it, oftentimes it's something very different. It's, it's multi-layered, it's multifaceted. So what does living fearlessly mean to you, Emily? To me, it means um, being authentic. Mm -hmm. It can be really difficult to maintain who you believe you are and who you believe you want to be out in the swirl of the world. And especially when you move into projects that get more commercial. Um, Megan and I writing just for ourselves is a very different task than us writing for a multinational corporation publisher. Bingo. Um, but it was important to us that even though the book is not about our experiences, that our voice still come through and that um, the things that we value, like curiosity and an open mind um, and risk taking, but informed risk taking, uh, all are still there. 
Fantastic. And so for the listening audience and people who are, you know, hanging on to your every word and are very inspired and enamored by you being my guest today on Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald, you know, whether we're talking specifically about books or birthing a book or whatever the case may be, but as somebody who's lived life, experienced life, who's not scared to take risks, uh, for somebody who steps outside of the comfort zone into the unknown to learn things, you know, understanding and recognizing that we all at some level don't know what we don't know. What would, generically speaking, be your advice to the listening audience, uh, Emily, and the podcast subscribers for how to embrace living fearlessly? Um, that's a good question. So as the best advice. Yeah, go ahead. So, I mean, because going back to what you just said, I thought that was very key, you know, honoring who you are, being integral with yourself, you know, showing up and, and being wanting to be seen and recognized for who you innately inherently are as, a poor, as opposed to the mask that often people do to try to assimilate or to fit into society or thinking that they're going to be embraced with more open arms than perhaps the right open arms. So what does living fearlessly, I mean, you've already explained what living fearlessly means to you, but in terms of imparting some type of nugget or wisdom um, for the listening audience, generically speaking, again, how can they show up as their most authentic self in a way that they can still live fearlessly? Well, I think part of that is um, embracing what you were just talking about, embracing what you don't know. Yeah. Um, the things that we don't know are so much more numerous than the things that we do know. And sometimes in the Western world, um, that can be that can be cast as a really negative thing to not know, to not have the answers. Um, but the ability to say, I don't know, or no one knows, um, and to ask questions with an openness based on not knowing or based on um, being comfortable with being told that no one knows. Um, I think the ability to ask questions and to live in that world of not needing to be an expert constantly is really mm. important. Beautiful. Love that. And so how much exposure are you getting with the book? Are things going well in that direction? Because we know that, you know, again, people don't know what they don't know. So oftentimes, you know, people who are trying to get exposure, visibility uh, on their projects, their services, their whatever, um, you know, we're reliant on media. And because people are staying at home right now, people are digesting and consuming a lot more content via podcasts, radio, books, et cetera, than ever before. So how, what's the trajectory for you and uh, Megan with respect to the media exposure that you're getting on your books? Have you been getting good traction there? We have gotten some really fantastic responses, and I think a lot of credit for that goes to our fabulous team at 10 Speed Press. Mm -hmm. um, they have not let the ball drop on this, even though I'm sure that they all have so many things going on in their lives, just like the rest of us right now. Um, so we have gotten some really fantastic feedback, which is really great uh, from you know members of the press and the general public. Um, the you know maybe the upside of our current situation is that uh, we live in an age where it's possible to be very connected even when we are not together. Mm -hmm. um, and so though Megan and I were unable to hold a book launch party in person, we held one online through a venue here in New York City called Caveat. Um, and 
because it wasn't just an in-person event, we had people tune in from actually all over the world. Beautiful. participate. It was this really wonderful moment of community. Um, and we've done a few other things like that and are continuing to um, host online speaking engagements and we're available for all sorts of things like that. Fantastic. Well, and again, because of current circumstances and the culture of what's going on right now universally with the pandemic, um, you know, things are taken off. I mean, not that they ever weren't with Amazon, but I mean, Amazon's going extremely well sales because, of course, major bookstores and anything out there in uh, shopping venues, they're all shut down. Um, So I think, again, this is a great opportunity for you given the timing of the book having just been released and knowing that more people, I mean, it was always exponentially going vertical anyways because of how busy we are as consumers and as as human beings and citizens of society, you know, we're now forced to slow down and people are recalibrating and going, okay, how can I better make use of my time? And I can't use the excuse that I don't have time. So how am I going to be more discerning with using my time? And so people are reading more books now. People are listening to more podcasts and radio shows than ever before. So I think, again, this is my takeaway for the golden opportunity for anyone in your situation or predicament launching a book and it not going status quo the typical way that it generally does. And I think because people are feeling shut in and people are are um, perhaps going deeper introspectively and going, okay, what are some of the things that I perhaps took for granted? And, you know, going out to a local bookstore. I mean, people generally always appreciate those experiences anyway, but that's going to be more so exponentially the case uh, when stores are open to the general public. And I'm sure people are going to be like chomping at the bit when you get the book signings going in the traditional way of holding them. Um, so I think it's going to go like gangbusters for you. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, we are certainly, I mean, looking forward to whatever the world looks like after this is over on a number of levels. Um, push uh, for the books where we can actually take them out into the parks and interact with people that way. Fantastic. And so what would your suggestion, recommendation or insight be, Emily, as it pertains to getting children at as young of an age as possible introduced to nature? What are the benefits of that? And, and what are, what's the residuals? What types of life lessons stick with kids, even if their lives become more regimented, where it pulls them away from uh, perhaps the childhood or the experiences they, they were once upon a time introduced to, to at least have a taste of the flavor of it? You know, what, what are some of the longstanding benefits and the residuals for having introduced your children to these types of experiences? Um, well... I can say that I was brought into nature quite a lot as a kid. Uh, My parents were really big on the road trips and uh, going to natural worlds. They also both uh, did a lot of canoeing. So I spent quite a lot of time um, on rivers and in campgrounds, all sorts of things like that. And um, at the time, I just thought it was fun. (laughs) Uh, But I really do realize that it has stuck with me. And I think part of this is part of what's important about it is that humans are not separate from the natural world. We are a part Mm. of the natural world. And in our, at least in the Western world that I live in, it is extremely easy to forget that. And most of the messaging that we hear separates us from the natural world. Uh, But I think that's just denying, that's completely shutting down a part of who we are and a part of what makes us part of this world. So the ability to um, be comfortable in 
a setting that might just be in the grass at your park, um, or it might be in the middle of a field of wildflowers in the Great Smoky Mountains. Um, the ability to feel like you belong in that situation is something that is really important for people and is not the one-to-one. -one. It is not just take people into nature and they will love it. Um, we've got to, you know, provide some kind of rubric, some kind of heuristic for people to uh, think about the world and think about the natural world. Uh, and that's something that as soon as you start to get curious, as soon as you start to ask questions and look for answers, your fear level, your um, your uncomfortability with the unknown tends to go down a little bit. Bingo. Absolutely. Well put. I love that answer. And, um, you know, so in terms of because of what we're talking about here, it's highlighting the things that you're most impassioned by or the things that are more uh, relatable as it speaks to the, specific, uh, the, the specifics of your book. But what would people outside of this context of what we're discussing, what would they be surprised to learn about you that has nothing to do with what we're talking about? Oh, good question. Um, what might be surprising? Ah, oh, gosh. Uh, <laughs> all the fun facts I can think of are extremely <laughs> not surprising. So who's, who's, who's Emily Hoff outside of the author? <laughs> well, I think I'm a, a pretty typical 30-something Brooklyn resident. Um, I do absolutely love uh, hanging out at bars and restaurants with my friends. Cannot wait to do that again. Um, I'm also a huge, I mentioned museums. I work as an exhibit writer in museums most of the time. So visiting museums is something that I absolutely love to do. Um, and I actually really like to do it by myself so I can move through the space at my own pace and kind of go with whatever catches my curiosity or catches my interest. Um, and I enjoy all kinds of museums. I have no training in art and I won't uh, profess to have any keen eye, uh, but I do love visiting art museums. Um, and I'm always especially drawn to um, unfinished works or sketches that lead up to something. Um, I think it's really easy with a book or with a painting or um, any other kind of creative venture you want to think about with a cake. Um, it's really easy to look at the finished product and assume that it was always going to be that way mm -hmm. um, and that it start was a start to finish a vision executed. Um, but that is almost never the case. And so as someone who is really a big fan of process, big fan of um, how things come together, I love the ability to see that kind of stuff. Beautiful. Well, let's talk uh, quickly here about the symbiotic relationship partnership between you and uh, Megan. And of course, when she comes onto the show, I'll be asking her the same question to garner her perspective and her insights. Um, you know, but both of you would bring different strengths to the table. One might be more proficient in one area. One might be more seemingly deficient in another area. But because you're doing this in conjunction with each other, you balance each other out and you, you're well-rounded. Um, so what, have you, what did you come to learn more about your relationship with Megan as a result of what she brought to the table um, and vice versa? you know, in terms of all aspects of your partnership, what, what stands out the most for you in terms of how well you work together 
or what you further developed either from a skill set perspective or some type of uh, insight about who you are at the deeper core level of your personality, your soul, uh, that otherwise wouldn't have been unearthed had you not been working in tandem with Megan specifically? Well, I think Megan and I talk about this a lot in that um, both of us are really thankful that we did this process together. Mm -hmm. I think either of us are capable of writing something on our own should we want to. Mm -hmm. uh, but the product that came out here is so much stronger and so much more interesting uh, because it has the two of us and not just the one voice. Mm -hmm. So I think what really, and we really do have um, complementary but somewhat different skill sets, uh, which are book biographies that you read mine at the beginning of this, um, try to get at it in kind of a fun way. Mm -hmm. uh, we have different modes of thinking about the world and engaging with things, um, but we are committed to being open and honest with each other and committed to um, taking opportunities to strengthen our relationship when we can. So obviously a five-year-long project comes with its ups and downs. Um, and unfortunately, life doesn't stop while you're working on other projects. So other things are always still going on. And to have someone who is not just a creative partner to bounce ideas off of and to help strengthen them, but who is also a friend and who is also a support system um, is something that's it's really remarkable. Um, and I, as a creative professional, remain so grateful for the level of commitment that Megan and I have to each other and that we are explicit about it, that we talk about the nature of our relationship, that we talk about what's important, that we talk about moments where things go wrong, and we talk about moments where things really went right um, mm -hmm. and try to learn whatever we can from those. Beautiful. Beautiful. So being cognizant of time again, Emily, I want to give you another opportunity for the benefit of the listening audience and the podcast subscribers. Where can people reach out to you? Where can people buy the book? What's the website, et cetera, et cetera. Well, thank you so much for tuning in to listen to this. It has been um, really great to talk with you, Lisa. Um, and I do hope your readers go out and find our book. Scenic Science of the National Parks is available wherever books are sold, including Amazon and your local bookstore. Megan and I are active on Instagram at Scenic Science Book. We post pictures from um, all of our travels and we talk about the process of putting the book together. Um, and of course, you can visit our website to scenicsciencebook.com. Fantastic. Well, given this is your opportunity to shine, but again, also being cognizant of time, was there any question that you wish I, I had asked of you that would have given you even a deeper level of who you are in which to share and impart with the listening audience that perhaps I glossed over or, or bypassed? You know, I think <laughs> I, I think about it a lot in that um, Megan and I set a goal for ourselves to write a book, to get a book deal, to publish a book. And we were able to accomplish that because we were flexible, because we were really hardworking, because we were curious, but also because we were lucky. Um, and part of luck is that is being persistent, is continuing at something even when it feels like maybe you wanna give up or move on to something else. Um, but if you really want those opportunities, you can find a way to make them. Um, 
we jokingly say if we did it, anybody could do it, mm-hmm. um, which is just sort of a like, I don't know, offhand way of saying that we aren't perfect. We aren't super beings. We uh, don't necessarily have any sort of uh, magical powers other than the fact that we were willing to work really hard and that we really believed um, in what we were doing and continue to believe. Um, the call to curiosity is one that I think will guide us throughout our lives. Beautiful. Well put. Well put. Well, I just want to say that, Emily, it's been an absolute treat. I appreciate the gift of your time. I appreciate uh, the publishing house having graciously gifted myself and my children as an extension of me, this beautiful book. Um, It really speaks to a lot of our core interests, our hobbies, our passions as outdoor enthusiasts. Um, So this is a nice addition to my own book collection. And I would highly encourage anybody uh, or everybody uh, to take advantage of this. Like this is a beautiful, well put together book. Uh, and it really comprises all the things that I think are very fundamentally important and oftentimes hidden treasures and things that get glossed over and dismissed by main mainstream society and the busyness of how we, uh, you know, have chosen to show up in this world and losing focus and losing sight of perhaps who we actually truly are at the core of who we are. So I just want to say job well done. Kudos to you and Megan. I'll have the opportunity to plug Megan when she comes onto the show uh, personally. Um, And I just want to say, you know, you should be exceptionally proud of yourself. There's a lot of work and frustration and all kinds of imperative pieces that go into making a finished product uh, and certainly having accomplished that without losing sight focus or the voice or the vision for what you set out for in the undertaking of embarking upon this project so the fact that you've come out of this going yeah that's what I wanted this holds true to who I am um, you know that's that's Uh, a huge feat in itself because it's not every author who can say that once they've seen the finished product it's like uh that does not seem reflective of me at all so the fact that you held on to the true core essence of who you are um and maintained your vision going forward i just want to say congratulations job well done emily thank you so much lisa it was um it was fantastic to talk to you and really cool. The, the whole process of writing and publishing the book has been an actual dream, uh, even with the rough patches. And so mm-hmm. it's um, amazing to be here and to be talking about it. And I thank you for reaching out to us. Yeah, beautiful. Well, all of my continued success going forward and stay safe, stay healthy, stay uplifted. And to my listening audience, I want to thank you as well for the gift of your time for taking uh, this opportunity to connect with myself and my guest of today on Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald, Emily Hoff. Again, I highly encourage you to go get the book on Amazon, take advantage of this downtime that we all have. Uh, to get back to grassroots with what's truly important. Uh, I'm very clear on my purpose. My purpose is to uplift you to fear less and to live more. Until next week when we're joined by yet another phenomenal guest on Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald, I wish you a safe, fantastic weekend. Love and gratitude, love and light, all my best. Take care. Thanks again, Emily. Bye-bye. Hey, this is Al Cole from CBS Radio thanking you once again for taking time out of your hectic schedules to tune in to another fantastic weekly episode of Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald. Another shout out of wholehearted gratitude to Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald's corporate sponsors, Halton Honda, Forever, and Aha That. 
Your reviews, clicks, shares, downloads, feedback, and testimonials are always appreciated. Lisa's purpose and mission is to uplift you to fearless and to live more. To appear as a prospective guest on Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald or to connect with Lisa regarding her suite of products and services, you can reach Lisa at livingfearlesslywithlisa.com. And until next week, our fearless friends, this is Al Cole from CBS Radio telling you to be your own hero, be your own hero, be your own leader, and be your own best friend. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.